I've just about had enough of you. I think you'll be able to respect a husband who's probably pulled the scientific boner of all time. In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Irony, one of the funniest forms of humor. I have made a woman. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. Think all is never wrong. Never wrong. Hello. Are you there? I'm I... here. <laughs> Welcome, welcome, and welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with Matt Brown, hello, and Stephen Murray. Hello. Welcome to another episode. We've got a a big old film to chat about this week, our first French film, I think. Yes. But before we do that, we've we've had a message from an Instagram account that I really like. And the Instagram account is called Recommended by Just Because. I recommend this Instagram account. It's really good for like finding out about new TV shows and new movies and new just new things that the people who run it like. And they uh, obviously are big fans of the uh, 50 Years of Shit Robots podcast. And they asked this week whether Tron counts as a robot, Ooh. Uh, the Tron people. And I thought that was a really good question because I didn't have an answer for them. So I thought I'd power up the old Murray brain and see what's spewed out of the other end. Oh, because it's all set inside a computer, isn't it? It's all set yes. inside the chips and they are those that are already inside the computer. They're programs. Right. Okay. Uh, would so, they would they fall under our umbrella category? Oh God, anything does. <laughs> <laughs> our umbrella well, yeah, category yeah, will, is, yeah, is because... robots, cyborgs, androids, AI, and they all have CPUs, don't they? They all have programs. They they're all programmed, or they have positronic brains with chips in that allow them to have agency. So, yeah, and in this yeah, one. The the big villain is the master control program, isn't he? All programs have a desire to be useful. But in moments, you will no longer seek communication with each other or your superfluous users. You will each be part of me, and together, we will be complete. Did you watch the reboot? I the didn't. sequel? No. They missed an opportunity. Which was? Which was to make a good film. <laughs> <laughs> we could say that of a lot of films that we we look at on this podcast it, it reminded me though that we looked at weird science a while ago um in conjunction with a 1940s film called perfect woman yeah. and i think you gave lisa who's played by kelly lebrock you said something of it because she's not quite a robot but we sort of included her what did you say about her? She's the product of technology. That's it. Yeah. And I think that th- that that also is covered by our, our umbrella robot <laughs> coverage, isn't it? <laughs> yes. We covered yes, for that. Yes, it is. Okay. So there you go. So you got had it from the horse's mouth that the Tron people are robotish. Oh, nice word. Robotish. 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 So... Stephen Murray, you have made me watch a French oh. New Wave film on the hottest weekend that planet Earth has seen. Fling the shade. Go on. The film in question is Alphaville, a film from 1965 by 
uh, Jean-Luc Godard. Now, let's just, before we get into the film, you've often said, you've often said the phrase French New Wave, and I've nodded along like I, I, did, I didn't want to say anything for fear of you discovering how foolish I am. <laughs> but what is French New Wave? Nouvelle Vague. It was a whole bunch of these directors coming together with a, with a love of Hollywood, but also wanting to completely break down the whole structure of how Hollywood film movies, how they film scenes and things. So they they would often use their own friends. They would often use locations outside. They would start a conversation walking down a road, then the conversation would carry on in a car okay. seamlessly yeah. uh, and really break down <clears throat> and disassemble the Hollywood kind of aesthetic. But they also loved Hollywood so much, especially film noir, that they named it film noir. Quite a lot of film noir elements appear in the film that we're going to look at. In fact, its, it's whole backbone is film noir. Okay, and just for anybody who might not know all of the rules of film noir, what's a little overview of that for me? Film noir, I, mean, I mean anyone who doesn't know. Film noir comes out of a B-movie aesthetic, comes out of pulp fiction. Pulp as in novels that were written and printed on really cheap paper, pulp paper. Uh, and these were, these tended to be B-movies that new directors could cut their teeth on. So they didn't have a great deal of money. And so they couldn't afford studio lighting and the whole, you know, that whole great aesthetic. So they used to use very dark lighting and very dark streets and everything would happen in dingy offices. So it was dark. It was noir. There's a lot of that going on in Alphaville as well. Isn't There's there? an awful lot of that. Go- and Alphaville shows one of these great Nouvelle Vague themes in everything's filmed on location. Yeah. So the other thing as well, that I, the one thing I do know about film noir is that You've sort of got this the rise of, I mean, the anti-hero, sort of or heroes with checkered pasts or neither good nor bad. There's no, they're, they're not likable, but you root for them. Yeah, and you've definitely got one of those in old Lemmy Caution in oh, this, and you old old tortoise face. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so very quickly, the there's a there is a sort of like a. A, a basic synopsis for this well, film. Well, good luck. You've got an American secret agent, Lemmy Caution, who uh, is from the outer countries. That's what, yeah. what that's that's where he's from. Yeah. And he travels to Alphaville posing as a journalist called well, Ivan Johnson. Yeah, from the Figaro Pravda, Pravda. newspaper. Yeah. And... <laughs> He goes around smoking an awful lot. Oh, my God. Taking a lot of photographs. But he's there to find a missing agent called Henry Dixon. And also, he, he's he got to convince uh, a professor called Von Braun, who is from New York, to go back to New York as well. And in the, me- in sort of in the meantime, he encounters uh, a woman called Natasha, who he falls in love with. And also, he encounters this powerful computer, this AI called Alpha 60, which kind of runs everything in Alphaville and runs it in a, in, in a way that where emotions, love, poetry have all been banned. No uh, memory. Anyone, and memory, yeah. And anyone, anyone who cries or shows any emotion is, is executed. And so that's sort of what's going on. And then at the end, spoiler alert, Lemmy kills the professor who refuses to go back with him. 
and sort of like deprograms Natasha and takes him um, back with him, leaves Alphaville and heads back for the outer countries. Is that about it? Yeah, yeah. But that is only half the story, uh, which is why I am recording this with a gin and tonic. Uh, Cheers. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> so I I was, um, I mean, we've been talking about doing this film for ages and I've been slightly wary of it because you said that, I mean, you've got a slightly checkered history with this film yourself, haven't you? I do, yeah. I remember seeing it for the first time at the Scala in, in uh, King's Cross and having absolutely no idea what was going on because I I really, really do love French films. Kind of one of my earliest memories is a Jean Cocteau film called <clears throat> La Belle et la Bête, The Beauty and the Beast. And then I got really into New Wave, uh, Jean, uh, Francois Truffaut, and I really like Goddard's Breathless as well. But you go to Jean-Luc Goddard and you're going to you're going to have to think, you're going to have to try and work things out, you're going to have to really concentrate. Yeah, I found as well you're going to have to use the internet a lot. <laughs> yes, an awful lot. <laughs> Which is what I did. But then you then you realise, because you, you think that this film is like this incredible, intelligent, intricate puzzle mm. that you've got to work on things, and then you realise it's not. It's a comic strip, and it's also lots of references to uh, american culture like heckle and jekyll they're, they're people who work for the sort of government in yeah. alphaville aren't they two scientists they're but they're named after terry toons two uh, cartoon birds that magpies i say old boy uh, how about lift Duh. that's real nice of you jump thanks and then there was references to dick tracy flash gordon yes uh von braun which is takes us into the science edge to it because E equals MC squared and the Einstein-Planck uh, constant is the, the formulas for those are everywhere in the film. Yeah. They and turn and, up everywhere. And and he doesn't ever hide any of that stuff. It's not like no. a blink and you miss it sort of thing. It's literally yeah. you'll be in the middle of a scene and then the word, the letters E equals MC squared are flashed up almost in neon yeah. in front of your eyes sort of thing. And they're Just, on posters. And yeah. They're, everywhere but also in a sense i mean it is science fiction but as you say it's because it's set and it was filmed i think it just in paris wasn't it and yeah, just in like, hotel rooms or whatever there's an awful lot of stuff which is just very 1960s oh it's really all scruffy of it. yeah really yeah. scruffy yeah absolutely there's some scenes in it which are very uh, quite unsettling because they're really incredibly tatty aren't they yeah I would say as well that that maybe because I was so I had such trepidation going into this, I found myself really I really liked this. I did this time. I must admit, I was fascinated by it. Some and some of the scenes I found like utterly compelling. So in this world, in Alphaville, anyone who 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 literally anyone who cries and uh, or shows emotion is executed. Or and is execu- yes, illogical. Sorry. Yeah, they're they're deemed as illogical, aren't they? And so they're executed. Yeah. And they are taken to a public swimming baths. They are put onto a diving board and they are given like a chance to say something. And usually it's, it's railing against Alphaville and, and then they are, they are um, uh, mown down with, with machine guns. They fall in the water and then a sort of team of women dive in with knives and then hack at the body in the swimming pool. They're synchronized swimmers. (laughs) (laughs) And and in the in the in the logic of the films, well, it's it's a public event, isn't it? Yes, yeah. everybody's there watching, and yeah. when the women stab them, they all clap. Yes, 
<laughs> and it's and it's. I thought that was brilliant. I thought yeah. that was absolutely brilliant. It's incredibly unsettling, though. It's so unsettling because it's it's a familiar surroundings. Yeah. But then you sort of think to yourself, well, hang on. When countries get completely taken over, then uh, squash courts and gyms become torture chambers. Yeah. Well, that is the, in the very first scene in the book of The Handmaid's Tale, it's set in a gymnasium. And I suppose the point is, is that, as you're saying, it's a place that was once somewhere of wholesome, a wholesome activity. I I once did a, a very small fun run for the uh, gym that I used to be in. Yeah. And, uh, and I there was a free massage at the end and they were doing them in the squash courts. It was at that point when I was having my legs massage that I found out I had tendonitis and I screamed. And I went limped to reception and the girl on there was from Sarajevo. And she said, oh, it's a long time since I've heard sounds like that coming from a squash court. (laughs) And then she told me later on about how they were used as torture places. Fun times. I wonder why. Is it just because it's like a big space, maybe? Yeah, it's a big, nice space. Yeah. Il suffit d'avancer pour vivre. D'aller droit devant soi. Faire tous ceux que l'on aime. So the French, after the war, post-war France, had an absolute obsession with America, as did Japan, and we've spoken about that before, the Americanization of the culture, but also the French being the French, loved it but railed against it. So I think Alphaville is a kind of way of, of loving the American culture and railing against it as well. So do you think that Alphaville is a metaphor for America? No, surely not. No, I think Alphaville is a metaphor for all the science that's coming out of the nuclear age. Okay. I, th- I think that Goddard is basically saying that um, the, com- the, the the great philosophical love of France is is uh, existentialism, and Alpha 60 is an existentialist AI because it lives in the moment. It tries to destroy your ideas of the past and the future and just wants you to live in the moment. And then all the references to the science around us, I think, is his his rail against this society that might grow out of just pure science and logic. So if you're illogical, you get killed. You have to live a life of logic, no love and no memory. Yeah. And we, we too had an obsession with the Americans and American culture. That's I think right. this I... is something that's come out of this for me, is this realisation just how influential their culture was after the war. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose it, because, because of all the privations f- from the war and the fact, as you say, that, that for, uh, for kids of the 50s, they would have lived, lived with rationing and they would have lived, even, even when rationing stopped, things would have been pretty bleak, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. Nobody yeah, there was lots of things money. that we couldn't get, yeah. Yeah. We're not at 67 yet, are we? We're not at the sort of the apex of the teenager and, and you know, music culture and all that sort of stuff. But we're sort of getting there, aren't we? Yeah, it's burgeoning. Yeah. It's a bit like it's a bit like when everybody thinks the 60s is like this, you know, London swings like a pendulum do and everyone's flower power and having a wonderful time. Yeah, if you were rich enough to do that. Mm. There was very few people who were doing it. And what happened was it was changing popular culture that ended up in the movies, ended up on TV, ended up in fashion. But really, there was only a small group of people that were doing that. And it's a bit like the burgeoning of, of the teenager, which was splitting away from their parents. And so in London, the, the, the coffee houses in Soho and in the big cities uh, were the places where they went instead of going to the pub. 
as their parents. So they be, be, they became independent, and also they started to have uh, independent finance. I mean, I don't want to go through the, like all the plot with this. Often, often we do, but I think it's so strange and singular the the plot that that would be foolish. But I did just want to just mention the that's the scene that you meant you were talking about, which is the first scene in the uh, hotel bedroom. Just imagine like a Parisian sort of slightly scruffy hotel bedroom in the 1960s. Uh, this, this guy uh, who's our hero, Lenny, Lemmy Caution, has been shown into his room by a woman and she explains that she is a level three seductress. She tells him that she's, she's uh, got some tranquilizers and she puts the tranquilizers into the bathroom for him. And then he decides he wants to have a bath. And she starts undressing and says, oh, I'll have a bath with you. At which point he says, no, I'm not into that. Then suddenly a bloke turns up. This, this guy from nowhere has a massive fight with Lemmy. You know, and it's kind of like big punches and being smacked in, you know, uh, Lemmy kind of gets his head and smashes it on the bath and then sh- shoots at him. So he fires a gun in his, be- his bedroom and the guy sort of untouched sort of runs off at which point the <laughs> the woman has put her clothes back on and Lemmy kind of hits her and then they have a they sit down and have a chat but at which point he asks her to hold a picture of a naked woman and then he yeah. fires <laughs> fires his gun at this woman's breasts while reading what book is he reading <laughs> don't know he was reading the big sleep it's just an extraordinary little vignette, and, and and the other thing that's going on at this at this moment is that suddenly old Jean Luc Godard is messing around with you know your POV, and so you have you have a conversation yeah. between these two people which happens in sort of in profile, and then the camera moves around and they're suddenly then both they both then start talking to us the 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 the, the viewer, and it's just yeah just a little just sense of how kind of otherworldly this film is. It's it's very nightmare, not dreamlike. I was going to say dreamlike, but it's very, yeah, it it's is. more, it's anxious dream. Yeah, it is anxious dream, isn't it? Yes, an anxiety dream. Yeah. The, the character of Lemmy Caution uh, was is created by a British writer, Peter really? Shaney. He created the character for a series of books, and uh, there was some French films, uh, one called Poison Ivy, and I think another one called My Turn, Darling, which featured um, the character of Lemmy Caution, played by the same guy. He wasn't a spy or a detective in those, so he, so Jean de Goddard just kind of lifted that in the same way, in the same process as he lifted all the other um, references to popular culture, and just mixed it in. The reference that I got was to Orpheus. Oh, yeah, there was. The voice, Goddard used the voice from Jean Cocteau's film. What, sorry, there's Orpheus. a Jean Cocteau film called Orpheus? Yeah, and ah, there right. is a, and the, it's set in modern times, and there is a, a, a voice that comes over a radio that announces things and tells things, oh, and right. he based the voice of Alpha 60 on that voice. Well, no, that wasn't the Orpheus I was thinking of. Oh. I, was, I was thinking of the Orpheus of Greek myth. He's like a magical lute player, and his wife is killed at their wedding by a viper. Bitten by a snake. 
Yeah, he's taken to the underworld, and then he goes and goes in journeys into the underworld to get her back. And the deal is that they say that he can take her as long as he walks ahead of her uh, out of the underworld. She's walking behind him, and he's not allowed to look back at her until they are uh, out of the underworld, and he, he he can't do it, and so he loses her forever. And actually, right at the end of the film. Lemmy and Natasha are in the car driving away, and she keeps looking back. And oh, he says, he "Don't say. look back! Don't look he back!" Does say it doesn't look. Do you know what reference I took from that? So when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in the uh, the Old Testament, he told Lot to take his wife and leave the two cities, and during their destruction, do not look back. But his wife looks back, and she gets turned into a pillar of salt. There you go. It's all in there, isn't it? One thing I was going to say. The Alpha 60 weird voice. Soyez assurés que mes décisions auront toujours en vue le bien final. Je vais maintenant vous poser des questions test par mesure de sécurité. I mean, I put, put down sounds ill. Tracheotomy. Tracheotomy, yeah. And um, I was reading that it was voiced by a man who had had his sort of voice box removed through cancer. And so it it was exactly that. That was exactly what happened. And Goddard, you know, uh, hired him to do the voiceover. And it's, I mean, I think it's a horrible thing to say when you know that, but it's so hard to listen to that voice. It is. It's kind of like the kind of visceral gulps. Yeah. In yeah. between. Yeah. But it also, I mean, as an as an artificial intelligence, it's quite philosophical. Yeah, really philosophical. I loved all of that. That whole of like, um, <laughs> just because you know the number one, people think they know the number two because one plus one equals two. But no, because you do not know what plus means. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was amazing. A right old philosopher. Yeah, he was definitely an existentialist. Yeah, yeah. But that whole no past, no future, only now sort of stuff. I mean, my mum's mm. always spouting on about that because she's she loves a bit of Buddhism. It's a very Buddhist uh, idea. It's living in the moment, isn't it? It's like there, yeah, you yeah. know, n- nothing matters other than what's going on right now. Ex- right except in in French uh, philosophy. Especially in uh, Albert Camus' film um, book *L'Étranger*, living in the moment means that you can do what you want. And he shoots somebody on the beach, doesn't he? And right. has absolutely no regrets that he's killed him because he was living in that moment. Yeah. So he can't see the future and he can't see the consequences of what he's done. So the, the French idea of living in the moment is very different from yeah. the Buddhist idea of living <laughs> That's in the moment. Very true. <laughs> yeah. So let's rate Alpha Sixty, the robot, in this. I mean, he's our well. We haven't even mentioned the fact he's our first artificial intelligence. He is our first artificial intelligence, and I, and I thought that the aesthetic was stunning. I loved it. Yeah. I really loved it. And 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 all it is really is a close up of a fan, a fan <laughs> in a computer, isn't it? With an Osram bulb in it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I thought it was great, and I loved all of the sort of the the, the miles and miles of computer switchboards and all of that sort of stuff and rooms full of computery things wires there was a, and things like that. there was a scene in it that reminded me of brazil 
you know, when he first goes to work in the ministry and then he's he's meeting his boss, his big boss, yeah. and there's just lots and lots of them walking. Yeah. And he's shouting um, orders at them all and they're all going round corners. So there's a scene in this film where that looks exactly like that, yeah. where they're down in the barrels of Alpha 60 and there's just lots and lots of scientists, well, along with Heckel and Jekyll, just walking through this huge open space. Yeah, it's lovely. I thought it was great. I, I I do think though that he he was because he's basically outwitted, isn't he, by Lemmy? Because Lemmy gives him a riddle that he can't deal with. Yes, and he but he can't he, he can't kill him. Alpha sixty can't kill Lemmy. Yeah, he can't kill him because he can't find he can't find a logical reason to kill yeah. him. Yeah. So he's not totally illogical. But he so... was he was going to, wasn't he? he was he said yes? The logical yeah. thing is for me to execute you. Yeah, yeah. And then Lemmy says, has this, he's, I said, you know, I've got a secret and uh, here's the riddle, but I'm not going to tell you the answer. You've got to work it out. And and then from that moment on, <laughs> everybody in Alphaville starts, I mean, wandering around like they're in the Ministry of Silly Walks. And all oh, the women are just hugging the wall. <laughs> yeah, because they, they're sort of like, they sort of become <laughs> detached from the computer. It's very strange. But so I thought that, that being defeated by a riddle was poor form. <laughs> what, what did you think of him? It. Mm. I liked it. Uh, I liked the fact that it, it was all pervasive. It was in it was in the bedrooms. You you ordered everything through it. it yeah, uh, that's true. It oversaw the power grid, and you know there was moments when it says we don't have enough electricity. Yeah. And I like the way that when lights come on in a corridor, Alpha Sixty would say, "And now the sun rises." And things like that. So yeah, and I th- and I thought the voice was sinister enough, and also the voice yeah. was very slow, which meant I could read the subtitles. Yeah, no, I love that, and I, I could I... ponder on the subtitles, yeah. and I could pause them, and I could look them up on Google. <laughs> yeah, which is what I did as well. So we got to rate Alpha sixty. I'd give him a five. Would you? Why wouldn't you go higher than a five? Six. Is he? You're saying he's a shit robot. Oh no! I suppose not. And again, Ooh. that's no. I'm not trying to lead the witness. Oh, he's, I'm being gaslit again. <laughs> I don't know why I'm turning around and looking in the room. There's nobody here. <laughs> right, I am. Like since bar, the Barbie film has come out, this is a little rant on my part. Since the Barbie film has come out, I cannot do anything in my house without being accused of mansplaining. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm just asking you what you want from the takeaway. And it's suddenly me, I'm being accused of mansplaining. So I'm not, I, I, I feel I'm getting a reputation as being someone who gaslights you on this. And I'm, and I'm really trying. Or our guests. Really trying not to do that. <laughs> I'm just saying that having, giving him a five is absolutely fine. Right, but, let me think. Why, he's our, why a five? He's our first AI. And as an artificial intelligence that has uh, complete autonomy over this civilization that is growing, yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was good. I don't think he's shit. I think it is a very good, considering that it's nineteen sixty-five and we won't get um, Hal nine thousand until nineteen sixty-eight. So yes, this is our very first AI, completely subsumed human existence. So, yeah, I don't think it's shit. I don't think it's shit either. And I think that because I think that, A, I really like the look of it. I, I yeah. Even though I thought that the voice was, was was hard work sometimes, I thought it was brilliant. I just loved it. 
And that is very Nouvelle Vague. Yeah. Using everything that's there, using using everything instead of there's no sets, there's no yeah. props. Yeah. Nothing. And I thought that like you, I've really enjoyed those those quite extended bits of dialogue from the computer about the sort of philosophy of the computer. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was good, and so I I'm, I I would be very happy. I'd be very happy if it's if if we give it a five, but I'd be very happy if we say it's not shit because I I didn't think it was shit. No, I don't think it was shit. And also, I but I began to realise which parts of the film were absurdist and and pretentious, and I think they were meant to be absurd and pretentious. I think so, the joke is oh. the joke is that he he's he might be saying. You think you're intelligent by pretending you understand what we're saying. Well, and the joke was on us. Yeah, because there was I, I definitely that... some parts in the film where it was just nonsense. Okay, well let's let's say well done, Jean-Luc Godard. Is he getting a seven? I think it's getting a not shit. Yeah, let's give right, it a he's seven. A, he's got a seven. Our first not shit robot of season six. Uh, and our very first um, artificial intelligence that's started started the ball rolling quite set high. Set the bar very high, isn't you it? You set the bar high. Well I'm done, Goddard. Got rid of my ball rolling reference. <laughs> You're setting the ball rolling very high. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's so lovely about you, though, is that your brain is so full of interesting oh. facts that sometimes you say things like, they started the ball rolling very high. It just it melts things together. Yeah. Thanks for so much for listening. Do listen back to some old episodes um, and keep listening. Subscribe because we've got some absolute crackers coming up. And we've got lots of special guests that we're going to be doing uh, in the next few weeks as well. So, oh, we do, uh, don't we? We do some very, very exciting things. Plus, we've got our second sexploitation film coming up, haven't we? Hooray! Yay! <laughs> Let's see how far we get with that. (laughs) So, until we meet again, goodbye. Uh, Goodbye. You're inept, obtuse, uncouth, unlettered, ungrateful, uncooperative, uncouth. You said uncouth, Dr. Goldfoot. And unnecessary. (laughs) But then that's what I get for digging up a grave digger.